You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. If you are looking to tap into a cool new niche that you can take your private practice to six figures or more, check out my guy, Derek Collins, at courtmandatedtraining.com. He helps licensed therapists expand their practices by working with court-mandated clients. So if you are burnt out, Tired of writing notes, dealing with insurance companies, I highly recommend that you check out what Derek has to offer. He can show you how to get paid cash every day through court-mandated evaluations and classes like anger management, domestic violence, substance use, shoplifting, theft prevention, and more. This niche can be a breakthrough that you have been looking for. Go to courtmandatedtraining.com and watch the free webinar to get started. Remember, that is courtmandatedtraining.com. Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the All Things Private Practice Podcast, and I am joined today by Sarah Harris. She is an LMFT out in Salt Lake City, Utah. I thought she was living in North Carolina for some reason. <laughs> we are going to talk today about creating a group practice, talking through the pitfalls, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad that comes with it, um, and also owning a group practice while also living in a different state because Sarah has a North Carolina-based group practice as well. So. Sarah, I'm really glad to have you on. And Sarah is one of those people who I've connected with over the last two years due to COVID and lots of virtual connection. And we've never actually spoken until this moment, but we've shared DMs and like have had a lot of conversations. So it's really nice to meet you. Uh, it is nice to meet you, Patrick. And it's such a pleasure to be here. I know that we've been trying to coordinate this for a while and I'm excited and I'm nervous at the same time all bundled up in one. <laughs> excitement nervous it's hard to tell which one is which right and i can sense it like in body language and i'm like people come on this podcast like i told you before we started recording and they're like did you have questions did you have it scripted do you have anything for me and i'm like nope we're gonna see where this goes and everyone is always nervous and then it ends up being great so take us through a little bit of your journey like you're in salt lake city you own a group practice that's predominantly based in north carolina i don't remember if you're in multiple states or not but yeah. Take us through that like process and how it is to run a practice virtually and the struggles too that come with group practice ownership. Because I think a lot of people right now are so overwhelmed by client calls in their solo practices that yeah. they are reaching out to me and other coaches to say, how do I start a group practice? Yeah. And I let them know off the bat, this is not always a pretty situation. If you want to get into this simply for the money, and not to be a boss or a leader or to grow a culture, then it may not be a good fit. And I think people need to consider that when they're starting a group practice and thinking about why they want to start a group practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The why is so important. And I tell people it is not for the faint of heart. And it seems in the past year or two, yes, it's been a ton of referrals, but it's been so much more challenging, it feels like. Uh, just dealing with everything. And so it's so important to connect with why you're doing it. And uh, it's important to have fun 
while you're doing it. And sometimes I say that and they're like, oh, have fun. It's work. You're running a business. How are you going to have fun? But you have to. And I remember when I started micro practice, and maybe I was being naive, but it worked. In my mind, I was like, I'm going to kind of treat this like a hobby. Meaning the feeling that I have with a hobby where I just enjoy it and I want to do it. And I'm not feeling pressured about, oh, I have to do this to make money. Oh, I have to prove this or prove that. I just released that. And I really connected with the emotion of wanting to enjoy it. And I really do have a passion about two main things with group practice. I have that passion to help others. And I know we hear that all the time with therapists. Um, but to really serve my community and be open to doing that in a lot of creative ways, not just in one-on-one, sit in front of a client way, but being open to doing that in a lot of creative ways. And then as a group practice owner, I also had that passion to just create this professional home for therapists where they can feel seen, they can feel taken care of, they can feel supported. And on a deeper level, as a Black therapist, a Black Caribbean therapist, I had that passion of creating a home for therapists of color where they can go to a private practice, work for a private practice and not feel like they're in the minority. I wanted them to be like, okay, this is one place where I'm like in the minority and I can be in the majority here and my voice can be heard and I can take up space and it's okay. And so it's definitely been a journey for, for a period of time. And I'll share my journey from beginning to end in a second. But for a period of time, it was just only Black therapists I had in my practice. And more recently, I did a lot of self-reflection because I felt called to expand my practice in a different way where I was like, you know what, what would my practice do? Can I still serve the mission that I want to serve with other therapists that might be non-Black? And so I just recently um, uh, hired a white therapist on board in our team. And I was very, very clear. And I see this in all my interviews with therapists. I'm clear about Serenity and Grace Therapeutic Services being an anti-racist organization. And we do stand for Black Lives Matter. And we are vocal about social justice issues. And I let therapists in interviews know this is where we are. Is this something that you're comfortable with? And I've had interviews where the therapist at the other end is just silent, not knowing what to say to that. And in my mind, I'm like, mm-hmm, cross you off the list. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've had people who just respond in such beautiful ways. Um, a therapist was like, and I want you to know that I am open to learning, but at the same time, I do not want to put that burden of responsibility on you to teach me, but I do understand the importance of intention and impact and I'm open to feedback and I wanted mm. to cry I was so it was I felt so seen as a black business owner um and yeah so I so these are the things that matter to me when it comes to my why and why I have my group private practice and the mission that I have for the practice which is to help make therapy accessible to especially marginalized populations I mean, we've had so many stories of people who email us and say, gosh, it's so amazing to look on your website and see therapists that look like me. And I've even had white therapists reach out to me to share feedback about what an amazing thing it is to be able to see predominantly uh, Black therapists um, in the field and on the website. It's such a powerful thing and such a needed service and culture that you're creating and cultivating and I know I've reached out to you about 
you know, family and friends of mine who want therapists that look like them. And I, I think we so oftentimes as white therapists discount that fact because it's not our experience to go on a site today page or whatever and, and not find people who look like me. It's just, that's how our society predominantly is set up. And it's just really powerful, I think, to find therapists who are going to be more understanding of culture and have similar experiences and be able to hold space for things that I am, as a white man, am very privileged, are never, I'm never going to experience. And although I can hold space and be empathetic and be anti-racist, mm-hmm. it's not the same. And yeah. creating that culture sounds like a very, very big passion for you. Mm-hmm. And it's very apparent in how you show up to in the social media world and how you show up in general. So I think that's really amazing that you're you're creating this. And I think, like you said, having fun with your business too is really important yes. because I don't want to recreate my agency job setting where I felt burnt out and frustrated and stressed out all the time. I want to enjoy the work that I'm doing. And it sounds like showing your therapist's appreciation and gratitude and support and mentorship is also really big about creating the culture that you want to have. Yes. Yes, where this, the psychological safety can be felt in, in many different ways, right? So for example, we have a team huddle and we try to have it once a month. Sometimes it's once every other month. And in the team huddle, we may play a game or we may have time to just everybody to just share their wins. A game might be two truths and a lie, you know, just silly. I'm a play therapist, so I am going to bring play into um, a lot of what I do. But I encourage therapists to just brag and i know we have these negative connotations of the word brag but it's okay to step into your strengths and share it with us because it's so inspiring and the truth is you know when you focus on something you get more of that so why not i mean therapy people come to us with their problems when we come together as a team why not share about the stuff that's working but it's a but it's a tricky edge because you don't want to get into that toxic positivity space where it's like oh everything is honky dory right <laughs> Right. Or we could just like reframe it to be positive and then everything will fall into place. Right. And I do think we need to brag, though. I I do Mm -hmm. think there's a negative connotation, like you said, like, oh, then it's not like you have humility, but it has nothing to do with that. It's more so our jobs are really fucking hard Mm -hmm. and we embrace and absorb a lot of energy from a lot of people. And we should brag about the work that we do. We should feel good about the fact that you're getting results or you're seeing transformations or you got a new client or whatever the case may be. Like we need to celebrate those things as a profession instead of always looking at that as a negative. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think especially in the, in the black community, sometimes we aren't given that space to brag about our positivity. I mean, we just had black history month and, um, in February and I've read so many articles online where people are criticizing us. And it's like, hold up for a second can we just have this to just highlight the positive things that happen in the in the black community and so you know it is just part of the culture of my practice and I have an exclusively virtual group private practice and it was virtual even prior to COVID and I think we don't have that opportunity to connect with each other like in a traditional in-office setting where we just see each other in the hallways and we're like, girl, you don't, you wouldn't believe the session I just had. Or can you believe my client did that? We don't. And so 
I have to find, I have to be creative as a business owner and think of ways of still creating this family environment where we can feel connected to each other. I'm in Salt Lake City. My therapists are in North Carolina. They're spread out all over. And I, as, a, as a business owner, group practice owner, I do have to be intentional about that. I had to educate myself about it too. Um, just to ensure that the the safety is there and the therapists are also getting their needs met and being part of a virtual group practice. That's really well said. And the intention and creativity is pivotal or crucial, I should say, because I also have a virtual group practice and I've got clinicians that live in South Carolina and Indiana and other parts of North Carolina. And you really do have to get creative if you want to create a culture where people feel like they do have camaraderie, they do have support. They do have teammates, but they don't see each other in person very often. And we try to, like you said, do things once a month. Sometimes my schedule gets away from me and it becomes every other month. But mm -hmm. it's really important for me to have my staff know how appreciated they are because they are doing the hard work. We know notoriously our culture as a profession, people are underpaid, undervalued, underappreciated, work too hard. I, I'm just trying to kick that notion because it just doesn't work for me. It didn't work for me when I worked at my agency jobs. It wouldn't work for me now. Mm -hmm. And I joke that I'm unemployable because at this point in time, I just can't be. But if I was employed, I would want a boss who wasn't micromanaging, but empowering and growing and mentoring and guiding. Because yeah. I think that means that the business thrives, the employee thrives as a therapist and as a human being. And then as the business owner, you also see that success come back around to you. Yes, yes, definitely, Gary. And when I think of success, it's not just in the, the numbers, right? It's not just about financial success, but it's so rewarding to see therapists who are really happy with their jobs and the success could be uh, just them being emotionally uh, abundant, happy, sharing about their, you know, you learn a little bit about their families and so on. You know, you know, one of the things that I did not want to forget as a practice owner was where I came from. So I myself, you know, I was in the agency space for a while. I was an intensive in-home team leader where I went out to therapist home, not therapist, the client's homes. And I put in my two hours for each client. I was so overworked and my car, oh my goodness. <laughs> But just driving out to the clients' homes in all of these different uh, parts of North Carolina that I wasn't very familiar with. Sometimes it was very unsafe. And I remember those days and I had to make that decision to come out of that environment because I was a young therapist. I just had my license and I was already feeling burnt out and I was already feeling frustrated with the field. And I moved into um, private practice and joined a group private practice in the local area where I lived at that time. And I was at the, that group private practice for about four years. And there were positives and there were not so positives towards the end in, which kind of moved me towards moving out on my own to start my own practice. But I remember what I liked about that group practice. And I'm always in a space of gratitude when I think about that experience. And I wanted to take some of what I appreciated about that practice and bring it to my own practice. So feelings of freedom, um, being able to create my own schedule, um, the clients I worked with, being able to be creative and have groups and have an internship program and all of these different things. I wanted that for my own therapist where they can feel safe, they can feel happy, they feel like they can come to me. 
my therapists have my personal cell phone number. They know that I'm going to, as much as possible, drop things and respond to them when needed. So they know that they're a priority to me and I'm not too busy for them. But I had to take some of those things and bring it to my practice and always connect with how, how did I feel when I was part of a group practice and how do I want my therapist to feel and grow from that? Absolutely. That's really well said. And I think for good leaders, you are trying to take the good and the bad and take a look at it from a perspective of how can I incorporate the good and build on it? And how can I take the bad and learn from it and grow and not recreate that for my staff? I know what it's like to be treated poorly. I know what it's like to be treated well. So what are the things that I appreciated versus the things that just made me cringe and angry and resentful? And, you know, I kind of cringed visibly when you were saying you worked in intensive in-home because I know how stressful <laughs> that role is. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, I'm also like smiling at the fact that you are saying like, these are the ways that I'm being intentional about my leadership style and cultivating a culture because you could just create a group practice because you do want the numbers, right? You want the money. Yeah. But it's not like that. And I think a lot of behind the scenes work that goes in gets unseen. And there's almost this perception of like, oh, group practice ownership is easy. You just hire clinicians and then you get more clients and then you make more money. And it's like, oof, if anyone could just see how many calls and messages and emails and issues and fires, it's like, this is a lot of freaking work and it takes up a lot of time. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness, Patrick. <laughs> there are definitely the ups and the downs, but it's important to ensure that the ups outweigh the downs and to learn from the downs, right? Because it's so easy to feel defeated, right? That imposter syndrome can set in and you're like, what am I doing? I'm so out of my league. Lately, I've been having this thing where... It's almost like I'm looking at myself and I'm like, you're not really, you don't look like a business owner. Like that traditional, whatever it is in my mind, my mind is trying to lie to me about and say that you're not this business owner. And I guess maybe having that masculine energy, but <laughs> I had to check myself and, I, and, and say, you know what, Sarah, it's okay to be yourself. You don't have to be this business owner that you see online or in the books or in TV or whatever, wherever it is I might be getting this false idea from. It's okay for me to be my own business owner, the business owner that loves to meditate that's a little bit of a black hippie or whatever. It's okay to be that and just stand in my strengths because that's how I can best serve my community and those around me by just being myself. And it's okay if I'm different and I'm not this traditional business owner that I think I should be. So it definitely involves a lot of self-reflection and so that you just don't get caught in that negative thinking, but that you can... You can grow from it and rise above it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So really trying to quiet that voice down that's coming up when it's saying like, you're supposed to look a certain way, dress a certain way, behave a certain way. And there's so many reasons, right, that those messages are instilled upon us in, in our society. But more importantly, like, I think the age of psychotherapy is changing with this embracing authenticity and, and personality and not being a blank slate. I have a group chat in my, <laughs> I'm just thinking about it right now, my group practice right now, we have a social chat versus a clinical chat. And the social okay. chat is about like therapists in my group that are like, I love telehealth because I've done so many sessions in my underwear this month, <laughs> or I've only worn one pair of clothing this entire week. I'm like, 
okay, please stop telling me this stuff. Like, it's funny. I appreciate it. But like, I really do appreciate that people feel emboldened to step into who they are and embrace who they are, because I think that's been missing from our profession for so long. Mm -hmm. And I imagine even more so for a woman of color as a business owner to really have to always be thinking about how am I being perceived or received or how am I showing up in the world and what do people think about me? And I imagine that noise can get really loud sometimes too. Yes. Yeah, it definitely can. Because there's always this mindset of working twice as hard to get half the distance, right? And people see, oh, she's an achiever. She turned this, this, this. But I also have to check myself about where it's coming from and to make sure that it's not coming from this place of uh, a lack of self-worth. And so as a woman of color, I just have to really do that work on myself to set, to be strong in who I am and to be confident in that, even when it doesn't, it doesn't look like how others look. And the sad truth is many times when that voice of comparison is speaking to me, it's usually me comparing myself to someone who's white, someone who's had a whole lot more privilege than I have had, who've had a different background. And it's not fair to myself to compare myself to that uh, while, while neglecting my own strength. But it is tricky because like I'm saying, there's, you, you feel that, that push by unseen forces of having to work so much harder to prove yourself, to prove that you're worthy, to prove that you're not good enough, whether it's personally or whether it's as a business owner or as a therapist. And it's important to just sit in that and to sit in your strength and to be okay with who you are and to know that my worth is not defined by what I do or my achievements. That I'm worthy just because of who I am, just my essence, that's enough. That is enough. And I think this thinking of not being enough, it, it didn't just start with me, right? There's so much intergenerational trauma that has happened, especially being a black woman in the United States, where there's so many stereotypes that are put on us and we feel like we have to be this. We have to be that strong black woman. Or if we're too loud or make our voice heard too much, we're a bit aggressive or angry. And I'm like, screw that. I'm just going to be myself, whatever that might be. If I want to talk a lot, if I don't want to talk a lot, if I want to show up and take up a lot of space, or if I don't want to show up and take up a lot of space, it's okay. And I think it's now, to, now is the time to change that narrative of not being enough and then comparing myself to others who have had way more privilege and have had that head start that I did not have. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I was thinking about <laughs> what you were saying and embracing it. And I was like, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think that that feels really powerful and insightful and it sounds like also giving yourself permission to just step into who you are and be okay with that. And I'm sure that took a lot of work to be able to get to a place where that felt comfortable doing. You know, I watch my wife sometimes who's a, a black woman in law enforcement, and I know that has to feel really polarizing. And she always jokes around about how she has to be like white Ariel or government Ariel and yes. how there are so many different personalities. Mm -hmm. And not saying that this is the same by any means, but masking as a neurodivergent person, like almost being a chameleon to, and adapting to your environment so that you don't stick out, you don't take up space, you're not, you're not kind of targeted in a way. And it's got to just be so much mental energy in that regard. But 
embracing embracing the beautiful parts of who you are and and what you bring to the table. I think that's really really important and I hear you saying that about yourself and I think that that is really a great leadership quality and trait too. I imagine the people you coach and your therapists really look to you as that example of like wow, Sarah's showing up in the world and like we can really get behind that and how she leads and how she shows up and how she kind of stands up for her values too. Yes. Yeah. All right, number one, I got distracted when you told me that your wife is in law enforcement because I had no idea. <laughs> what power to her? <laughs> I, I, Ariel, sorry, I don't mean to out you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she always tells me when we're, we're on vacation, don't fucking tell people what I do. And I'm like, because I'm like the person who talks about everything. And she's like, yeah. you and I cannot be the same. You have to realize that you also work in a profession where you talk to everybody. Please don't tell people in different countries what I do for work. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I have to be aware of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, but it's for the greater good, right? Because you do bring up a really important point. And I can imagine her, especially as a woman too, right? Not, not just race. Those intersectionalities really can play against you. I really, I resonated a lot when you talk, when you use the word masking. Because so much of my journey too has been having to mask. Uh, mask as a black woman, mask as an immigrant from Trinidad and Tobago, where for a while I had to downplay my accent because I was, I was ashamed. People kept asking me, what do you say? Well, because they couldn't understand me, especially when I first moved here. I moved here when I was 19 years old and went to school in New York. And I had to do a lot of masking. And it's a false sense of security because you're like, oh, okay, I fit in. I fit in with the white folks. They accept me. We're talking. We're connecting, quotation marks. But in the process, I lost myself of this masking. I, I lost my, my identity. I lost my voice and having my own beliefs and being able to speak out about my own opinions. And it was in my 20s, 20s, 30s. I'm in my 40s now. <laughs> 20. <laughs> Why do I? <laughs> it was in my 20s. And I was just in college in New York and just on my own, but not really knowing who I am. And I really, really had to do a lot of shedding of beliefs from religion, from uh, just so many different things parenting, school and shed those layers in order to connect with myself to get to where I am. But even where I am right now is still an ongoing journey. And just being open to be courageous and be vulnerable. And even when I'm in a white space, stepping up and taking up space. I mean, recently I was at this workshop um, for anti-racism. And so there was a mix of people in the workshop, whites and um, blacks and Asians, a nice mix. But they asked for feedback on an activity that we did. And so the a white parents spoke up, fantastic. And then they were, they were like, okay, anybody else has anything they want to say? And I felt myself shrinking in the space, even though I had really important stuff to share about my experience as a black parent, but I was shrinking and and I had to push myself to the edge. I'm like, okay, Sarah, unmute that button and speak. <laughs> and even with the fear and the nervousness, I had to do that. And for so many years, that was my pattern, to shrink, to be quiet, to not speak, especially in spaces where it's predominantly white because I felt intimidated 
I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like, what do I have? What do I have to share? But now in my 40s and having done so much work on myself that I'm still doing, I just got a therapist. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hard to find a therapist, but that's a whole other topic. (laughs) But but doing all this work, I get to this point where I hope that I could inspire somebody else who's in their teens or in their 20s or 30s so that they can be able to connect with themselves and get to a space where, especially as a person of color, that they can speak up and speak their truth and not feel like they have to dilute what they're saying or not feel like they're, they're struggling with internalized oppression where in their mind they have their own biases about, oh, that white business owner is better than me or I'm not good enough because of whatever it might be. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. It makes total, total sense. So you were able to kind of push yourself and give yourself that pep talk of I need to do this. And it sounds like that's a big shift um, from when you were younger, when you felt like I have to kind of just be here and exist and be safe, right? Because there is some safety uh, mechanism to that too, I imagine. And what do you attribute that to? Like the shifting from masking slash I can't take up space to Sarah, you need to take up space. Good question, Patrick. I think it had to do with being honest with myself and feeling unhappy deep down. Like on the outside, I had all of the achievement, right? All of the degrees, the awards, private practice, all of the good stuff. But inside, I I really wasn't happy because there's that, um, I wasn't really living that full authentic life. It's almost like you're living a double life and just tired of being unhappy deep down inside and realizing that so many times I care about what other people think. But when you think about these other people that's in my mind, I'm like, who are they? <laughs> right? That these other people that I care what they think. And when I'm honest with myself, I'm like, they don't really matter to me. Most times they're just this random question mark in my head that really doesn't matter. So why not just live your truth and, and, uh, and speak up and, and take up space? Like it's okay to take up that space. Hmm. It's a great answer. You also just gave me that name for the podcast episode. So thank you for that. Oh, um, okay. I was paying attention to quotes, you know, because I think it's okay to take up space is really an important message here. And, you know, you're a, a pretty remarkable human being. You have a group practice, you have a podcast, you have a coaching business, you make those, um, uh, what's the word, the relationship cards? I know I bought some from you, but I don't know what they actually are because I never opened them. Uh. <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> open that. That's my accountability right there is to put that out to the world. Just like the Bowflex bike I have over to my like peripheral that I have actually never rode once in my life in the two years that I've owned it. Okay, so now we know what your action items are after this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The couple's connection affirmation cards. So they are these cards and... On either one side has activities that couples can do, and the other side has conversation prompts. And we've made it, because you know I'm all about fun. I'm a registered faith therapist, and I don't think that plays just for children. And so my, uh, another therapist and myself, we created these cards um, to help strengthen relationships and in a very fun way. So that's what those cards are. So now I need to open them. <laughs> yes, Patrick, yes. Oh, man. I outed myself, but (laughs) you're, you know, I think it's, I've had a lot of um, BIPOC clinicians on the podcast lately, um, especially women of color. And 
I just want to continuously put a place out there where the guests can take up space and talk about their accomplishments because not only as a profession are we so fucking humble with like we can never talk about our accomplishments or take it in or feel proud about them because we're not supposed to like you said brag um I just think it's really wonderful for people to see that there are so many incredible forces and talents out there who are creating all of these outside the box ideas and ways of doing things. And it's just really, really incredible to watch and witness and and just watch it unfold as well. Yes. Yeah. So is this my space to share my accomplishment? (laughs) I want you to share your accomplishments for sure. I just want to circle back real quick, though. Um, it sounds like the group practice is just really energizing for you. And I want for anyone listening, if you're a therapist in private practice, thinking about group practice, I really want you to think about what Sarah was saying about cultivating culture and being intentional as a leader, looking at the things that do work and don't work and constantly being willing to adapt and change and evolve and grow and learn from mistakes too, because you are going to make mistakes. I promise you that. I sometimes do things and I'm like, ooh, that did not work. Now let's never do that again. Because that's the only way that we learn is from those experiences that make us question our own competency and qualification to do something. I I talked about it on my Facebook page and some podcast episodes that I made a very expensive mistake within my group practice and overpaid all of my clinicians double copay and deductible payments from 2021. So uh, oh anyway, <laughs> I could either have let that destroy me or learn from that, think of it as a bonus for them, hard work in a hard year and move on. And I think that people may have taken that money back. I refuse to do that. But I just think that as a group practice owner, you're constantly faced with these challenges and questions and I know a lot of group practice owners who think about their staff almost as their children. And I don't think about mine as my children, but I do think that I feel very responsible for their quality of life as well. And I want them to be successful. And I hear you saying a very similar thing. Um, I just think it's really important to embrace the type of leader and owner that you want to be if you do want to start a group practice and also ask yourself the why question. Um, anyway, don't follow that mistake. It was an expensive <laughs> terrible one (laughs) (laughs) can i check can i add one more thing to that of course yeah as many as as you want i think it's important to do the the personal work right because you can't be successful with others unless we confront our own demons unless we face our hidden biases and do that internal work and the internal work doesn't stop right like i just i mentioned i just got a therapist tomorrow's the appointment i kept procrastinating with it and then I went to my, because there's always some reasons like, oh, I want a black therapist. I want this one that does EFT. Ugh. And I'm like, you know what, Sarah, stop the procrastinating and just do it. And doing the internal work, it's hard sometimes. And it's so easy for the ego to come into play and convince you that you don't really need to. But we have to just be doing it on a daily basis, whether it's reading books, listening to a podcast, getting coaching, a therapist, whatever it might be. As a group practice owner, especially, we're leading people and we have to always, always check ourselves about why we're doing it. And we want to be honest and truthful with ourselves and with them about what we're doing and the mission of our practice, because it is a big, big responsibility that we do have to take seriously. It's another moment where Sarah has put things perfectly and I can't add anything into that. 
I I hope that anyone who is a therapist or wants to become a therapist that is listening to this believes that therapy is helpful and is getting their own support. And that is going to be hopefully a lifelong process for most of you, if not all of you. And I think it's really crucial and important. And that's going to evolve over time. The person you work with today will probably not be the person you work with in five years, but to continuously address your growth, I don't think we can go deeper than we've gone. And I don't think we can kind of shape and shift how we move through the world if we're not willing to do the work. So really well said. And I appreciate you saying that. I, I, I definitely fully support that and endorse that too. Um, I do want you to have some space to talk about what you're doing and let the audience know where they can find it. So please feel free to fill them in. Sure. So, uh, so the name of my practice, the group practice is Serenity and Grace Therapeutic Services. It's based out of North Carolina. And we provide services in North Carolina, Georgia, and Utah, hoping to expand to some other states later this year. And our website is sgtherapeuticservices.com. And our Instagram handle is the same thing. And also our Facebook uh, page, SG Therapeutic Services. And I also provide um, coaching. So ex coaching to executives and high achievers and also a consultant. And that can be found at Sarah G. Harris. And on Instagram, I am Sarah G. Harris. Lots of information. We'll put it all in the show notes so that you can access Sarah's services. I like that you chose a website that wasn't like lengthy, like even though it's Serenity and Grace Therapeutic Services, you didn't make it Serenity and Grace Therapeutic Services.com. Okay. Because as someone who chose the name very early on in private practice, Resilient Mind Counseling, did not think about the fact that people will have to type that in. People will have to type that into their emails. So if any of you are listening, thinking about naming your business, short, sweet, succinct, to the point, do not make it overly complicated so that when you have to tell people they have to write it down or ask you how to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go on a rant about that a different day. But Sarah, I really appreciate you making the time and coming on here and just getting to meet you in general. And it's really been a pleasure. And I really hope we can have more of these conversations in the future. And I just really wish you the best of luck as you expand and grow and, and just continue to be a leader in the industry. Thank you so much, Patrick. It was an honor to be here with you. For everyone listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, we have new episodes where we talk about really real and challenging conversations about being an entrepreneur and private practice therapist. Listen, download, subscribe, and share on any major platforms. If you want to find more of me, what I offer, coaching, consulting, business building, small retreats, courses, and I'm trying to think of what else I do, which is hard in the moment, allthingspractice.com, or you can join the All Things Private Practice Facebook group. And we will see you next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.